No, he should be more than enough, amen? But it is an interesting question to ask, is Jesus enough? And in our series that we've been doing, not a fan, are you a fan or a follower? We've been challenging your thoughts, challenging your heart, and today is no exception. When we started our series, we were in John chapter 6, and we're going to finish there, so turn in those Bibles or on your electronic device that has your Bible, turn there to John chapter 6. Um, we encourage you to use any means possible to get into the Word of God. If it's an electronic device, by all means, use that. If you have a, a smartphone, uh, download, it's a free download app called uh, Uversion, Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N, and uh, boy, it's awesome. So I would encourage you to do that, and that way you've got the Bible with you all the time. Uh, wherever you go. But it's also good to have your own Bible that you can write in and, and make notes in and underline and highlight and all of those things as well. But we started in our series in John 6. We're going to end there. Great crowds were traveling, as we discovered in John 6. Uh, great crowds had been traveling with Jesus. Uh, by now, he was at the height of his popularity Word had been spreading about his miraculous healings, his inspirational teachings, uh, huge crowds gathering to cheer him on. We're told that there were 5,000 men, but that wasn't just men. I mean, there were women and children there too, but when the Bible counted, they'd always count men in the Jewish culture. Uh, likely that crowd was in excess of 15,000 that day. And after they'd had a full day of teaching and listening to Jesus, they began to get hungry. Now, I'm encouraged that it took them all day to get hungry. Uh, I can only get you about an hour, and then you're ready to get out of here because it's, you're hungry. But uh, nevertheless, they'd gone all day, and he turns to his disciples, and he asks what all these people would do for food. 15,000. Now, that's a lot of people to feed. Now, amen. And we've had some pretty good fellowship dinners, and we usually have a good crowd. If, if we announce in advance that we're going to feed you, uh, we tend to have a few more folks show up that day. And that's okay, because we're going to give them something to eat, but we're also going to feed them some spiritual food as well. But there's just something special about feeding people. And uh, those of you that have fed crowds, you know what I'm talking about. It's not an easy task. Uh, You've got to get a lot of stuff ready ahead of time before you can get everybody fed. Thanksgiving's coming up. Isn't that, that's a great time of year, isn't it? it? Except for moms. Moms and grandmas. They have to, they have to cook, 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 and more cook. And just, uh, it just seems like it never ends. Preparation after preparation after preparation. So you can imagine the disciples when Jesus said, what are we going to do to feed these people? So Philip tells Jesus that uh, even if they had eight months wages, they couldn't buy enough food to feed everybody. From Philip's uh, perspective, they're, they're, it, it really wasn't their problem. And even if it was, there really wasn't anything that they could do. It was out of their hands. But there was another disciple, Andrew, who had been scanning the crowd, and he saw this little boy, and he tells Jesus that this boy had five loaves of bread and two fish. I thought it was interesting that Mick would talk about the communion devotion the way he did this morning. But I can just see Andrew 
mentioning this to Jesus and just kind of smiling, you know, thinking, okay, Lord, what you going to do with this? What you going to do with five loaves and two fish? Hey, hey, what you going to do with it? Because he'd already seen some things, right? So Jesus didn't disappoint him. He takes, he takes the boy's sack lunch and he feeds the entire crowd. In fact, the Bible tells us that after everybody had had their fill, there were 12 baskets left over. Now, isn't it interesting that there were 12 baskets left over? Have you ever thought, why would God leave 12 baskets? Well, there were 12 disciples, and they were fixing to go to the next adventure in their journey, and each of them would carry their own basket as they went on their journey. And when they got on that boat, they'd have that basket of, of reminder of God's great power and provision. But after dinner, the crowds decided to camp out the night. They thought, hey, man, this has gone well. We're going to get up in the morning. <laughs> Breakfast buffet right here. Why not? And, of course, they get up the next morning, and they're hungry, and they're ready to go. They're looking for breakfast, looking for the buffet line. And, of course, Jesus, their meal ticket, nowhere to be found. Well, they finally figure out that Jesus and his disciples had probably crossed over the, the lake. And so the crowd seems to have no higher priority than being with Jesus. And so on the surface, you would look at this crowd and say, you know, I think they're probably more than fans after all. And by the time they catch up to Jesus, they're probably starving. Well, I know they are because they didn't. I mean, they'd, they'd eaten the night before, but they didn't get breakfast. The guy skipped out on them, right? Leaves them hanging. They've missed the chance to order. They're ready for lunch. They're ready to look over the menu. But Jesus decided that he's going to shut down the all-you-can-eat buffet. He's not handing out any more free samples. And in John chapter 6, if you're there, look at verses 26 and 27, and look what Jesus says to the crowd. He says, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, but... Not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus now is asking the DTR question. He's asking them to determine the relationship. He wants to have that visit. He knows that these people are not going to all the trouble and sacrifice because they are following him, but because they are following the food line. So how would they respond when the drive through window closed? Well, in verse 35, Jesus offers himself. And the question is, would that be enough for them? Look what he says in verse 35. He says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. There are some things I want you to take away from the message today, and the first one is this. When Jesus is the only thing on the menu, you find out if he's the one you are really hungry for. When Jesus is the only thing on the menu, you find out if he's the one you're really hungry for. When there are no other options, that's when you find out if Jesus is enough. I'll change the names in some of these stories I'm going to read. I'll tweak the scenario a bit. But I'm going to tell you about some people I've encountered in 35 years of ministry who've gone from being fans to followers. 
These are people who found out what it meant that Jesus was the bread of life. Now again, names, scenarios, they're different. Dave came forward after being let go from his job. He was an executive, living an executive lifestyle. Wasn't sure how this would all play out and how he'd pay the bills. The stress was taking its toll, not just on his marriage, but on his health. And for the first time in his life, Dave was not self-sufficient. For the first time in his life, his prayers weren't just repetitive phrases. He learned as a child he was really in need. Desperate, desperate, he turned to God in a way that he never would have had he not lost that job. It was easy enough for him to be a fan of Jesus, making a half million dollars a year. But for the first time in his life, it wasn't enough to be a fan. He now was a follower. Kathy was married for more than 20 years when her husband decided he wanted to be single. And she was a girl, I mean, she, she was that girl that had gone to the same church for a long time. But because of the divorce, she was no longer welcomed there. So she came to a new church, broken and bitter. But for the first time, this lifelong churchgoer began to see how the Bible spoke directly to her. Each weekend, she said she felt like God was speaking right to her, and she decided to listen. And in her loneliness and in her bitterness and in her depression, she heard the message of Jesus saying, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. She changed from being a fan to becoming a follower. Then there was June. Her car was struck by a semi, and she died instantly. A wonderful Christian lady, always at church, always praying for her husband, Bob. Bob would visit once a year on Mother's Day to appease his wife. His eyes would be closed during most of the sermons. <coughs> his arms would be crossed, and it would be clear that he'd rather be anywhere else. At the funeral, for the first time, there was a sense Bob was really listening, like maybe God was speaking to him. And later that night, when the preacher went by, to the house, Bob had June's Bible out and had been reading it. A few weeks later, he walked down the aisle at the church, the same church where his wife's casket had been carried, and with tears in his eyes, he said, I'm ready. I'm ready. There's plenty of stories I could tell you. A daughter diagnosed with cancer, parents getting divorced, addictions seem unbeatable, a future seems overwhelming, a relationship falls apart, and then something happens. Something suddenly happens. Having a little bit of religion isn't enough. Suddenly the spectacle, the fish and the loaves, the Sunday service doesn't cut it. And in those moments, those times that Jesus is the only thing left on the menu, they find out that He's exactly what they need. Can any of you say, I hear you, preacher. He becomes more than this guy in a picture wearing a blue sash. 
He becomes the only hope of that moment. So here in John 6, the crowd has to decide, is Jesus enough? Are they hanging around for the perks or is it really about that relationship that he wants to have with each of us? Do you remember what happened? The fans turn and they go home. It's captured for us in chapter 6 and verse 66. And by the way, an interesting verse for us to mention this morning, that verse number and chapter, because the Hebrew numbering system 666 is the sign of man. Look what that verse says. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And in the long run, that's what will happen. Scripture tells us that wide is the road that leads to destruction and in the end, whether we like it or not, most people won't accept Christ's invitation. They like the idea of heaven. They like the miracles. They like the bread. They like the free show. But they like the chance to be around a lot of people. They like the excitement. But when Jesus wipes all that off the table and offers only himself, well, they're not that interested. They're not that interested. And after we read in John 6 that many of his followers had left, Jesus turns to his 12 disciples and he asks the question, look at verse 67, he asks the question, you do not want to leave too, do you? Now, I don't know about you. I know Jesus knows everything, doesn't he? He knew whether they were going to stay with him or not, didn't he? But isn't there a bit of the human nature of all of us seen in our Lord and Savior walking this earth in an in a destructible body like ours, isn't there just a bit of us in him right here in this question? I don't know how he said it. I don't know if there was frustration or anger. But my guess is he spoke with a tone of disappointment and sadness. As it becomes clear, and it became clear why so many were following him. That's what's wrong with preachers today. They believe people are following them instead of them following Jesus. And you know what I've told you, and I'll continue to tell you. If you lift me up, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> For a couple of reasons. One, I'm, I'm a big person. And so if you lift me up, it's going to hurt you. And plus, because I'm a big guy, when I fall, it, it's real ugly. It's real ugly. I started an exercise program about three weeks ago, and 
I couldn't get off the floor. They had me on the floor to do exercises. I said, have you lost your mind? But they said, get down on the floor. You know, I mean, it's that kind of a, it, we all need those. We need those boot camp situations, right? So I got on the floor. I could not get off the floor without help. But I can tell you, three weeks later, I don't need any help. I can get off the floor. Get off the floor by myself. Well, me and God. <laughs> I feel God going, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> but it's ugly. I'm not going to tell you. It's a, some people can get up off the floor. It kind of looks, wow. It's ugly. So don't lift me up. Don't lift me up. There's only one that needs to be lifted. And the Bible says that if he be lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. You see, I have to be drawn to the same Jesus that you are. But some preachers believe that their equal elevation with the Lord. You don't have one of those preachers. I don't ever want to be there because I can never do what he's done. But I'm grateful he did. How would you feel if you started to, maybe you could think back a ways, and you started to date someone. You took them to the movie for the first time on that first date, and you paid for the popcorn, the drinks, and all the snacks. You paid for the tickets, and after the date, you asked them out again. They said yes. So this time, you step it up a little. You go to a nicer place and a nicer restaurant, and you let them order anything on the menu that they want. When the bill comes, you pick it up. You take care of it. And with each date, you have more and more fun with this person, and you're starting to feel a real connection. And just when you think things are going to get really serious, you, you ask them out on a special date, and they agree, and you pick them up, and you surprise them this time by taking them to the park. And you go on a walk, and you talk. You stop and sit on the bench. You pour out your heart to this person. You tell them how much you care about them, how much you want to help them be happy and have their life fulfilled. And just as you finish pouring out all of your affection for them, they look at you and they ask, is this a date? Because when we're going to, to do something, I thought we were going to have more. And so pretty soon you realize that you're just hanging, they're just hanging around for those good things that you can give them, the pretty things that you can give them. The movie tickets, the free meals, the entertainment. That'd just break your heart, wouldn't it? Somebody did that to you? I can imagine that might be how Jesus felt about now. He asked his disciples, the men that he's grown closest to, whether or not they're going to leave too. I watched my mother and dad divorce three different times. Not once, not twice, three times. Once when I was three, once when I was six, and once when I was nine or ten, I watched them. 
I watched him argue. And the last time he left, or we left, he got to stay at the house. We had to leave. It was because my mother had fixed his dinner and had told him it was time to eat, and he was still working on the car and decided to finish what he was doing. And when he came in, the meal was cold. Oh, my goodness. The whole world stopped at that moment because his blessed little plate was cold. But he went into such a tirade about it. I think that's how Jesus felt about now. That people didn't really want to be with him. They just wanted what he could give them. Would they abandon Jesus? Did his life message attract them at all? Did they get it? Look what they said. John 6, look at verses 68 and, 60, and 69. So Simon Peter, I love it because it's Peter. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Which brings me to my second observation, I hope you'll take away, is that when you really know Jesus as Lord, you don't want to leave him. You don't want to leave him. Peter's answer sums it up. To whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? And that's the one question to ask among thousands of questions. Who, would, who could lead us like you could? Who could teach us with wisdom like yours? Who could possibly bring us closer to Almighty God? Who would we ever want to leave you, the Messiah? Who else is worth following compared to you? How could we ever find someone else like you, Lord? So you see, fans will bail on Jesus when his teaching gets difficult. When he says you need to surrender and give it to the Lord. Give me everything. <laughs> we sing that song. Remember the old song? I surrender all. Oh, we close our eyes. We'll maybe raise our hand. Because raising the hand and closing your eyes means that you're really serious, doesn't it? Amen. I surrender Really, here's how we should sing it. I surrender something. See, we got to look around and see what he's taking. I surrender something. Because that's really us, isn't it? Have you surrendered everything? Have you surrendered your pocketbook? Have you surrendered your time? Have you surrendered your talents? Have you surrendered your relationships? Have you surrendered your children, your grandchildren? <clears throat> Have you surrendered your husband, your wife? Have you surrendered your friendships? Have you surrendered all of your possessions? Why wow, how quiet it is in here today. You see, Fans bail on Jesus when teaching gets tough. 
when he asked them to sacrifice, when he asked them to take up their cross daily, when he asked them to die to themselves, fans take off. And I don't think they do that just because they prefer comfort. Because if they knew, I'm convinced their actions would reflect that knowledge. If they were guaranteed a ticket to heaven, if they had full assurance that Jesus was the Son of God, if they could be completely and 100% positive that following Jesus would lead to an eternal eternity of bliss and worship and joy in the presence of the Lord, I'm confident that they would stick with it. Who wouldn't, right? If all of us believed and knew with every ounce of our being, we'd have a much easier time swallowing some of the tougher portions of Scripture. If all of us knew and believed the way those disciples did, I think, I think we'd be willing to stand strong for God's teaching on sexuality when it came up among our friends and colleagues. If all of us knew and believed that Jesus was Lord, I think we'd approach sharing our faith in a very different way. But here's the problem. Takeaway number three. We don't know the way we wish, so we don't believe the way we should. Let me repeat that. We don't know the way we wish, so we don't believe the way we should. The first half of that's a pretty tough thing to face, pretty tough fact. We wish we could have it all laid out. We wish God would write it in the sky. We wish He'd give us a vision. We wish He'd speak audibly to us. We wish He'd send an angel to give us some kind of unmistakable sign that He's alive and in charge and Jesus is His Son. But life's not like that. And it, and it wasn't like that for the disciples either. Oh, sure, they were able to witness some things that you and I haven't seen. Some of those miracles. I mean, can you imagine five loaves of bread and two fish and 15,000 people eat all they want and there's 12 baskets left over? I mean, come on. We have fellowship dinners and some of us who put these together, you know, we step back and we watch how much food is on the table so far and we're going, <laughs> because we're anxious, aren't we? Because it seems like more and more are coming in the door with less stuff in their hands to put on the table for food. And we're all worried. We're just going, oh my goodness, we're going to have to run down to Kentucky Fried and buy all the chicken they've got. Here we go. Oh my goodness. And then what do we do? We kind of walk around. We get busy doing something else. We get distracted or whatever. And we come back around. And all of a sudden, the table's full of food. And everybody's gone through. And everybody's eaten. And there's still food left. You see, God does it all the time, doesn't he? He did it at my house all the time. When my friends would just drop by at dinner time, it's kind of interesting that they come by at dinner time, right? But they would always come by at dinner time. There always seemed to be enough for the two or three extra hound dogs that came by to eat. There always seemed to be enough. I never could understand that until I would watch my mom eating by herself later on something that was not prepared for the meal that night because she forego, she forewent, or whatever the word is, she skipped eating so someone else could. That's a miracle of God, is it not? Yes, it is. That's the sacrifice that Jesus wants from us. But eventually, these disciples, though they had seen so much, had to choose to know and believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Choosing to know and believe is a choice that we too have to make. 
just like those disciples may. Because if we would believe with the same fire and passion that the disciples had, I think our lives would be completely different. Be completely different. Do we really want the lost people to find God? Do we really want that? If we did, we'd be praying for that. Not only praying for it, we would be inviting people who don't know him to come find him. That's amen. It comes down to whether Jesus is enough for you, and it comes down to whether or not you'll choose to move from being a fan to being a follower. Each week we've listened to Kyle share a little bit about the message. Let's hear from him one last time. Hebrews 9.27 says, Man is destined to die once, and after that to face the judgment. Those are the two guarantees. We will all die and we will all stand before God. When that moment comes to all of us, there's only one question that will really matter, is have you decided to follow Jesus? If I could, I would ask you that question differently because it's very personal. I wish I could come over to your house and knock on your door. Hopefully I could talk you into letting me come in and sit down for a few minutes. And I would want to sit across the kitchen table from you and look you in the eye and ask you this question. I know that when you hear me ask, have you decided to follow Jesus, many of you quickly nod your head yes and say, yeah, I'm a follower. But why do you say that? Because I'm not asking if your parents were followers. I'm not asking if you've prayed a prayer. I'm not asking if you say grace before meals or if you come to church. I'm not even asking if you believe in Jesus. I am asking, are you a follower of Jesus? Because one day there are many who say, I am a follower that will stand before God and be declared fans. In your workplace, in your home, at school, on the team, at research, at Quick Trip, at McDonald's, at Louis. Are you a fan? Are you just a fan? Are you a follower? And the fourth thing I want you to take away is that we don't know the day, but we know his name. We don't know the day Christ will return, do we? And if you find somebody in your life that says they know when Jesus is coming back, run from them. Because they are telling you they know more than Jesus himself who said, I don't know. I don't know the day or the hour that I'm supposed to come. Only the Father knows. So if you've got somebody in your life that has it pinpointed to the day, the accurate day and time, all that, run from them. Because they're lying to you. They don't know. They don't know. We don't know when health might fail when finances might plummet, 
even when we'll die, we don't know, do we? None of us get up in the morning and go, well, looks like today is my last day. I'm, I'm out of here. None of us know that, do we? Some of us drive like we are leaving here today. I'm learning, I'm learning. But even though we don't know the day, we know his name. I know none of us want to be declared fans on Judgment Day. I know we aren't offered the guarantee that we will always, that we will always want, but Jesus does offer a guarantee. Jesus guarantees that if you put your trust in him, he will never, ever fail you. He guarantees that if you stake your life on his message of truth, he will stake his life on your eternity in heaven. Jesus guarantees that if you put your trust and hope in him, he'll guide you to an eternity with God the Father but we don't know the day, but we know his name. And as scripture tells us, by his name alone, men are saved. At the name of Jesus, men are saved. If you need peace in your life and you hear the name Jesus, it brings peace. If you need comfort in your life and you hear the name Jesus it brings comfort if you're troubled and you need calm waters in your life and you hear the name Jesus the waters calm when you are running away from God oh and there's plenty running away some of you are sitting right here this morning. You took a break from running to sit down in here. But you're running away from God. And when you finally get tired of running and you stop and you turn to see if he's still coming, he's within inches of you with his arms out like this, going, ha! <laughs> because you and I can never outrun him that he won't be there waiting. You and I can't hide under any rock or in any dark closet. We can't keep any secret that he doesn't know and he doesn't care enough about us to love us through it. But you have to decide. Are you a fan or are you a follower? And you see, that's determined by how serious you are about your growing in God. Do you take every advantage of the opportunity to learn? Or do you just assume Sunday morning listening to the preacher go on and on and on and on and on will be enough? You have to decide. Because all of those guarantees are for the followers who refuse to leave his side. The followers who ask, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
we believe and know that you are the Holy One sent from God. Join me in prayer, please. Father, this morning, we need you in a way that we've never needed you before. We need you in a way more deeply than we've ever needed before. Father, our church building should be full of people. Our church building should have people waiting outside to get in because we have the message of life here. We bring it, we preach it, and we do it unashamedly. And we will continue until breath is not in us again because you have called us to a calling and we are to walk worthy of that calling. God, how many of us can honestly answer the question, are we a fan or are we a follower? This series has challenged my walk with you. This series has made me stop and consider and reevaluate why I do what I do and when I do it and why I do it. Father, I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering today if there's one person in this room that will have the courage to say, I'm going to quit being a fan and I'm going to start being a follower. Is there one person in this room that would dream a dream so big that it can only be accomplished by you? Is there someone in this room who would who would say, you know, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to leave the lifestyle I've chosen and find out what this new lifestyle in Christ is all about. And preacher, when you offer a class, I'm going to be there. And preacher, if you don't have a class, start a class. Is there anybody, God, that would want to go that deep? Or are we just going to be content to just... be the same way that we are now and assume that we're totally on fire for you totally full of passion for you God I can't answer those questions I can only answer it in my life and I come today in repentance before your cross. To say, I'm making changes. You see them, you know them. And I'm grateful that you're there with me through every step of the way. Could there be another? Could there be another? They would have the courage to say, this time. In Jesus' name. Amen.